from the Gospel of Matthew near the end, and then I'm gonna then there'll be a pop quiz, and we'll see you what this is actually called. Okay, just I just want after the one, two, three, and you can tell me what it is. And Jesus came and said to them, "All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples." Plug in, plug in, just in case that's me. in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, on three, if you know what that's called, say it. One, two, three. Okay. It's called the Great Commission, uh, where Jesus tells us what our mission is, that we are to go disciples, we share the gospel, we tell what God has lives, and as we that, hmm, I'm still fading it out, aren't I? It's probably irritating, isn't it? Good now? There we go. Okay. I'll see what I can do when he ends. I'm not used to it. Um, okay. So, the Great Commission tells us what our mission is that God has given us. That, that this life is not just about this life. This life is about the next life and helping people and have peace with God and become part of his family. Now, I used to watch Penn and Teller's Magic Act. Any of you who Penn and Teller are? They're, they're not, they don't always fool you with their sleight of hand, but they're really funny. Um, that's Penn Gillette on the far right, and that's kind of a flash to their, their act. But Penn Gillette is an outspoken atheist, and here's, here's what he says. He says, I love evangelicals. One of the things I learned doing Penn and Teller on Showtime for all those years is that, is that Christians are really good. They're really good people. We did a bunch of anti-Christian shows, and I love the fact that there are people that talk to me after the show and they pray for me and give me Bibles. So Penn Gillette was impressed that Christians would be nice to him and care about him, even though he was trying to refute the basis for their lives. So he thinks of Christians as really good people. You know, I bet that pretty much everybody out there, your neighbors think you're really good people. I think you're really good people. You know, as people go. Um, we're all just people, but you're, you're, you're good people. You'd be good neighbors. You see, it didn't bother Penn that Christians wanted to talk about religion. He goes on to say, if you believe people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? He goes on to say, I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Now, not all atheists want to talk with Christians or are as nice about it as Penn is, but if that's some people feel like that, why do most followers of Jesus almost never 
talk to people about Jesus. I love Becky Tippert's book on sharing our faith called Out of the Salt Shaker. And she says, Christians and non-Christians have something in common. We're both uptight about evangelism. Why? Well, maybe you tried and you got shot down. Maybe you're just, you know, kind of timid when it comes to talking about difficult things. Maybe you're afraid you'll be rejected or, or, or scorned. You know, I mean, some people think all Christians are stupid. Uh, maybe you're just goofy. Maybe you've seen some people and they share their faith in really obnoxious ways. And you say, I, I don't want to be like that. D.L. Moody was the most famous evangelist of his time about 150 years ago. God used him all over this country and even in other countries to bring lots of people into a relationship with Christ. And so one time some man came up to D.L. Moody and he said, I don't like your method of evangelism. And Moody replied, what's yours? And the man said, I don't have any. Then I like mine better than yours. And a lot of us are kind of in that boat, aren't we? We're not talking to anybody about Jesus. So we're trying in this summer to make that become comfortable and natural. We'll kind of gradually get into it. Now, I happen to believe that God has used all kinds of different methods of sharing the gospel over the centuries. So I never say, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that, nobody should ever do that. Uh, you know, people have passed out pamphlets, people have literally stood on wooden boxes, soap boxes, in busy sections of a downtown and, and, and yelled at people as they go by, you know, sometimes quite confrontationally. And for some people, it's worked. Some people go door to door and talk to strangers. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm also always careful to never say, don't do that. God has used them all. But at the same time, not all methods are equally well received. It's very culturally sensitive. Not all methods are well are equally well received and as a culture changes oftentimes what people will receive well changes last week the apostle paul said i have become all things to all people that by all means i might save some and what he's saying is that he adapted to people's culture trying to bring down barriers not trying to make the barriers bigger this is a guy that was a strict jew who now is hanging out with gentiles and loving them this is absolutely different he used to despise those people but just as jesus left heaven took on human form and walked among us what we call the incarnational principle we are to go and adapt so that we can love on people and share with them about jesus we're his ambassadors and we do it the best way i believe today in our culture is primarily just by loving people that's the main deal. If we'll just love them and let them know about God. Everyone wants to be loved. You want to be loved, I want to be loved, everybody does. So I'm hoping that this summer you will join me and God will nudge you in the direction of one or two or maybe three people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. They live in this area. Maybe they're family. Maybe they're neighbors, maybe their co-workers, maybe their fellow students or fellow parents, and you will just begin to love them well. Figure out ways to maybe hang out or do something that you have in common and ways to serve them. 
We'll do it in baby steps. But if you'll join me, then your love for those people will grow, your love for Jesus will grow, and you're going to see God do some beautiful things. Okay, would you open a Bible to Acts chapter 10? We're going to read a lot of Acts chapter 10, so you really are going to want to have it open. And while you're opening, did you realize that even after everything Jesus had said about going out to all the nations a couple different times, Acts 1 and where we just read in, in Matthew 28, the Apostle Peter did not initially understand that Jesus was for everyone. So here's kind of the timeline. Jesus ascends into heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. The, the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Lots of people come to Jesus. Peter casts out demons. Peter heals a cripple in the temple. There are thousands of people, and the apostles are primarily in the temple teaching them. But the religious leaders get irritated. And Stephen is stoned to death, and persecution arises, and they spread out to different towns. And Peter ends up in Joppa. Now, we'll put this on the screen. The lower arrow, arrow is Joppa, which is in our chapter, and the upper one is Caesarea, okay? So Peter has been, he's left Jerusalem, and he's in Joppa. And actually, while he's there, there's a small group of Jewish Christians, and a woman named Dorcas dies, and Peter prays, and God brings her back to life. So he's not just casting out demons and healing cripples. He's raising the dead, all right? But he's pretty much just staying in the Jewish culture of what Jesus had said about go out to all the nations. Okay, I encourage you to follow along as I read. We'll start at verse 1. At Caesarea, that's the top arrow. Oh, it's gone now. Uh, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, how did the Jews feel about these Roman oppressors? They hated them. They put them all in the same bag of uh, kettle of fish, but this is a really good man. And as you give your time to love people, whoever God nudges you to love this summer, what you're going to find is that the depth of beauty and value in them is probably more than you were just picking up on from a distance. Everybody has this amazing beauty and depth inside them and value. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? If, you, if you've been asking for an angel to appear, just be ready. It doesn't usually start out super well, the terror thing. And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Okay, so Cornelius has a vision of an angel, and you may not know anyone who's had a vision of an angel, but it happens all over the world still. Many of the former Muslims who have become followers of Jesus, the way it started was they had a vision or a dream, then they either went online or they went to somebody they knew was a Christian, and they said, tell me about Jesus. And they have a vision or a dream often of Jesus. So this is something that still happens. God is still working powerfully. So the angel implies that Cornelius' prayers are being answered. Well, well, what prayer? What's he been praying? Well, probably what people pray. They pray for help or they pray to know the truth. Uh, Peter's going to come and tell him about Jesus. And one of the things that we all need to realize more is 
there are people all around you who, just because they, they aren't a follower of Jesus yet, that does not mean they're not praying. And they're often asking God for help. Sometimes they're asking God for the truth. Some of you may be here, and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but you're, you're just kind of checking things out. You'd like to know the truth. We're really glad you're here. If people are praying more than we realize and asking God to share, tell them the truth, why don't they just come up to you and ask you if they know you're a Christian? Why don't they just come to church? Some do, but not very many. Because most of them think that we're what? Judgmental and hypocritical. That one study showed out 16 to 29-year-olds, 90% of them feel that way about Christians. One of the really fun things this summer, if you join me in trying to really work hard to not work hard, and trying to really take little baby steps to love some people well, is that they will realize that you're not judgmental or hypocritical. And that will be a fun discovery for them. They may already know that. It'll surprise them in a good way. All you have to do is just love them and don't pretend to be better than you are. Let them know you in all of your beautiful mess. They're not looking for perfect Christians, just authentic ones who love Jesus and are kind of following him, stumbling along. That's what people expect. Verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Now, this next part is one of the most famous visions in the entire Bible. Verse 11. He fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The Jewish dietary laws prohibited him from eating some of these things. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call unclean. This happened three times, and the thing, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, if you had a vision, and it was something like this, with this sheet coming down, and animals take, kill, and eat, what would you think? It would be kind of strange, wouldn't you? And it was repeated three times. Verse 17, now while, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Okay, so what's, how's Peter, is, does he understand? No, he's perplexed, doesn't understand. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who is called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now, the Holy Spirit works in different ways with different people. The, the Apostle Peter was the leader of the early church. He's been anointed with a lot of power, healed cripple, raised the dead, and he knows when the Spirit is telling him something. For most of us, it's a little more subtle, and we kind of sense God wanting us to do this, or maybe we sense that something's going on with someone, and God would like us to give them an encouraging word or to pray for them or something. I like to call those nudges, and what happens is if you will obey the nudges and you feel like, you know, that person needs something and you go and help rather than resist it, 
it becomes clearer and clearer to you when God is nudging you. So I would urge you, just go with it. Now, you'll make some mistakes. That's okay. Just step out and obey. And I would encourage you to develop two prayers that you can put on your your phone calendar to remind you each day. One is just to pray for God to help you to love whoever it is he's put on your heart that you're going to really, really love a lot, love well. And the other is that as you go through the day, you would just watch for someone who's struggling and that the Holy Spirit would nudge you to go and just maybe give them a kind word. Or if you're comfortable, maybe actually offer to pray for them. Okay, so here's the arrow again. I mean, the, the map again. And they're down here in Joppa, and it says that they're Peter's guests. Now, this is a big deal. This means they spent the night, and they ate together. And that was not allowed for Jews to do that with Gentiles. And then the next day they take off, and they walk from Joppa to Caesarea. It's about 30 miles. It takes them. They don't arrive until the – they start on one day, and they arrive the following day. Um, verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So has Peter figured out the vision? Yeah, he's figured out that the vision with the sheep, with the clean and unclean animals coming down, is for him to see that no food is excluded and no person or nation is excluded. Now this, we, we, we kind of take it for granted, but this is a really big deal because Peter had grown up his entire life being told the Jews were God's chosen people, and only the Jews. Everybody else was excluded. But it took all of his years with Jesus. It took Cornelius' vision to get the people to arrive when Peter was having his vision. It took a couple of visions, and it happens right in such a timing that with both of these visions, Peter is finally at the point where he's ready to include the Gentiles, even though Jesus' instructions had been very clear. Now, Cornelius has gathered a bunch of people to hear whatever this messenger from God is going to say. And this happens still all over the world. Probably more churches, churches have been planted, started this way, than any other way. Somebody's been praying, and they've been asking God to send his messenger. The messenger comes. They believe that the messenger's from God. And what happens is they say to all their friends and family, come on, God's got a message for us. They hear it, they respond, and they start a church right on the spot, in, in many cases all over the world. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now he goes on, he summarizes Jesus' life, his ministry, his death. We pick it up at verse 40. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of his sins through his name. Do you 
just stop every single day and thank God for forgiving your sins? What's the big complaint that many people have against Christians? Well, they're judgmental and they're hypocritical. Do you know one of the best ways to make sure you don't turn out judgmental or hypocritical? Thank God every day for forgiving your sins. Because the more we, we recognize how deep our sin goes and how much we need to be forgiven, the less likely we are to condemn anyone else or not to be authentic. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. So he brought a bunch of Christians with him, Jewish Christians, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians talks about different people being given different gifts. I, for example, don't have the gift of speaking in tongues. Um, but I've known lots of really good friends who do and been in many situations where people were speaking in tongues. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Although the gift of praising God with a spiritual language, speaking in tongues, is not for everyone, it was a great way for God to confirm to the Jewish followers of Jesus that these new Gentile followers were full members of God's family. It's taking... Two visions, it's taking the Holy Spirit coming on these people in power to finally convince Peter everyone is included. No one is excluded. Verse 47, then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So it took a couple of visions for Peter to be willing to go and lay himself on the line with some people and share the gospel. What will it take for you? What will it take for you to give some of your time, and arguably for mo many of us, our time is what we consider most precious, to give some of your time to just start loving really well one, two, maybe three people that God puts on your heart. This book is called Purple Fish. It's written by Mark Wilson. Lots of great stories. Mark is the pastor of a church where they have kind of a culture now that does this. Lots of people in that church feel very comfortable. They, they, they love some people in their lives. They're there for them. They serve them. They listen to them. When they seem to be struggling, they offer to pray for them. Sometimes they share about what God is doing in their lives. And they're seeing God do a lot of wonderful things. So please put it on your phone calendar and begin by praying each day and see what God nudges you to do to love one, two, or three people well. Now, we're all broken people in here today. Church is for sinners. It's not for good, good people. I mean, you're good as people go, but you're still broken sinners. Um, but those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, as Peter said in this, we've been forgiven. And the Holy Spirit's come into us and given us peace and pours God's love into us. And he's gradually changing our attitudes and our desires. See, God loves us so much that he adapted to our culture, came to find us, and then he took the punishment that we deserve. 
you are actually one of God's greatest treasures. When we were created in the Garden of Eden, we were kind of the pinnacle of God's creation. In his image, able to think creatively, able, able to love, able to choose good or evil. But then we chose evil. And so we fell and we became like this broken cup. And I, I keep this in my office to remind me that I'm broken. And see, I have the tape. I'm, I'm being repaired. But I'm still broken, and when God pours his love in my heart, it does leak out, and so I need to be poured in regularly. But we are all kind of like a broken cup. Now, the Japanese have developed a really cool art form. I may say it wrong, but it's called, I think, kintsugi. And this is a picture of, of it. They, they take broken pottery, and what they do is they glue it back together with lacquer, and into the lacquer they have mixed gold dust. And it just becomes more beautiful, much, much more valuable than it was when it was just broken pottery. But beyond that, it's actually even more valuable than it was before it was ever broken because it's been remade. It's got love and care and artistry poured into it. You see where this is going, don't you? See, we're like kintsugi pottery. As a church, we're like a bunch of plates that have been put back together. We're in the process of being repaired, the process of being repaired by Jesus. We are like kintsugi pottery. So when you think of a cup that uh, is being repaired by Jesus, that's you. From Jesus' point of view, what's the difference between that and just a broken cup that's just out there. Somebody who, you know, maybe they believe in God, but they're not a follower of Jesus yet, and they're looking for truth. What's the difference? Well, from Jesus' point of view, what he sees is what they can become and all the beauty and value and depth that is there. And what he wants for you to do is take your cup, which is under repair, with the love that's being poured into it and leaks out, and go out and love them with it. And maybe they'll see your cup that's being repaired, and they'll say, yeah, I, I need that too. So just go love people and see where God leads you. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we, we know that you've given us clear instructions to make disciples, and that seems to change from culture to culture what ways that that are welcome or unwelcome. So we pray that you would nudge us, guide us, help us to be courageous and obey, even if we make mistakes. Help us to see some people that we can just love really well. And then guide us from there. Because you love them, and you see them in all their potential to be these beautiful, amazing cups that are being repaired by you. So guide us. Help us to free up the time to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name.